Hello, and welcome to the Wheel of Time Rewind Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Michael Wifford. Blood and bloody ashes. We finally got our first book swear here, and it is refreshing to hear that. We got a good blood and ashes, look at this place, from Rand as he entered Tarvalon, so pretty happy about that. Uh, But before we dive too much farther into the episode here... Uh, just going to go off a few things off the top here. Um, if you'd like to like get us. in contact with the show, send us an email DMs. at willoftimerewind at gmail.com. Or if you're on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, hit us up with a DM. Rate and review. <laughs> tag us, share our stuff, all that stuff, at WOT Rewind. All right, so we are here for episode five. Which is Blood Calls Blood. Blood Calls And so blood. we're not going to waste any time doing a long introduction like we did in the last episode. Jumping in here with the Aes Sedai funeral ceremony here. So mm. with this scene here, you see the Aes Sedai bury all of the dead, which I thought was an important note here. You see them burying the people that attacked mm-hmm. them, the dragon sworn, as well as the people that, like, that of their selves that died, like Karini. Um, you saw Stepin struggling to bury Karini. You know, you saw her care. You saw him carrying her body up, and like not wanting to pull that last veil over her to like do the final piece of her funeral to say yes, she is dead. Um, so, do you want to talk about that particular scene there, Mike? Yeah, such great emotion from um, Stepin's actor For sure. there. He did a phenomenal job. Like, the emotion, the emotions that he had throughout this entire episode, I thought he just did a wonderful job really portraying the grief of losing your eyes to die, losing that bond. And I think we... I, saw, I mean, we saw a lot of really cool things. I love that they showed this burial scene, burying an eyes to die, what happens to the ring, and... Later on, we find out, and I thought that was actually a really nice uh, nugget, something that we never really saw in the books. But I, I had a, a little bit of confusion in this part because they how they buried them, it was definitely in the shape of something, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I only got to watch once, so I'm a little, little yeah, behind. Yeah, so we're this recording week. this on Friday because I'm going away for the weekend, and I've got two views in already. Uh, Mike, he's got the one, but I'm sure there'll be plenty more coming here. Um, so just to go off of what you were talking about with the pattern that they were doing there, my initial impression was, is this like their interpretation of the Wheel of Time? Like, are they doing it in a oh. circular motion, like with the spokes coming out the side there to represent the different rungs in the Wheel of Time and everything? Oh, that's really interesting. And plus, it's kind of like that whole part of the whole last embrace of the mother thing that embra- that uh, Moraine was doing, mm. which is part of the Borderlanders um, burying procedure from the books there. So, with Moraine having Lan, who is a Borderlander, as her warder, it makes sense that she would be following Borderlander customs when burying Aes yeah. Sedai, like Karini. And we never get to find out where Karini is from or where her warder Steppen is from so we don't know if they might be from the borderlands as well so maybe they followed their customs and that's why moraine did that part um just to keep going here with this scene 
we finally get Nynaeve grabbing a hold of her braid where she's kind of like playing with it as opposed to giving it a tug. And I think that Nynaeve in this episode shows a side of the character that we have not seen yet on screen, which is uncertainty, fear. We're seeing Nynaeve reacting to the revelation of her like first public channeling. And, you know, that braid petting because it's not a tug, it's a pet, <laughs> I feel like is a good point to, like, show you that. I almost thought she was... I almost thought she was fixing her brain in that scene. Yeah, she might have been, because, I mean, you saw her hair when she went Super Saiyan, just like, Went straight up there and, Whipped yeah. it out. <laughs> so, the next part that I want to talk about here is less of a scene and more just of some words that flash across the, str- the screen here, which says... One month later. And I told Mike before we started recording here that I feel like this is going to be the first of many time jumps that we get in the show here. Which I think that's a good way to do it rather than have three episodes showing them walking down the same street or same road. (laughs) (laughs) Endless slogs of walking. But I also want to be aware of how much time they're saying is passing as well because of the distances they're talking about traveling as well as just to, like, get an idea about, like, where they're coming from, you know, like, what might have happened during that time that we did not see on screen. Because that's going to be lost time. Like, we never see Matt and Rand trekking through the farms, never having a bed for a month, and Matt coming out the other side looking like a shivery, shaky skeleton (laughs) until Mm. we see them after this month-long journey. So we don't see that journey take place. But I am okay with that. I'd rather not see them get all dusty on the road. Yeah. I think, And I think they did, like you were just saying, a really nice job of conveying that. I mean, you looked at Perrin. His hair, is, his hair yeah. has grown out. Grown out. Like three months on the road, like his hair's grown out. The way Egwene was like comfortable and like oh, yeah. around the Tuathamon, you could tell they had spent a lot of time with them and their perspective of being with them had changed. During For sure. Like time. when we first see Egwene and like I'll, we'll talk about her when we get to that part later, but she just looks like she's so full of life and so vibrant when you see her as opposed to the scared mm-hmm. outsider that her and Perrin were when they first joined the Tuathawan. She looks so comfortable with them that I was like, oh no, is she just going to run off with Aram or stay and become a Tuathawan? But, uh, and you know that never happened, but still, <laughs> she looked <Yeah>. very <laughs> at peace being there with them. Um, The next thing I want to talk about, though, is when we see Moraine and Lan and the rest of the party there from the Aes Sedai camp riding up to Tarbalan. Lan's like, we're finally home. And Moraine's like, you call, you still call this home? <laughs> and so I thought it was a funny way to say that Moraine hasn't been in Tarvalon for a long time and really doesn't see her place as being there in the tower amongst the other Aes Sedai. She sees her place out on the road, doing what she sees as her duty, her quest to find the Dragon Reborn. And until she does that, she does not want to be at the White Tower. Also, looking at Steppen's actor again, like this episode is clearly about Steppen's journey, taking the results of Karini dying and seeing how that affects him. But he looks terrible, although yeah. not as terrible as Matt. <laughs> like, 
Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. They did a great job, like you had mentioned to me, I think before this, Mike, about them like getting dirty, getting grimy from mm-hmm. all that travel they did there. And it almost looked like um, there was like certain points I was looking at him and I could have almost swore like there was like black by his eyes, like in his veins, mm. like almost like lines. I was like, ooh, it almost looks like corruption of some kind. It's very interesting. Yeah, like Mashadar is like spreading within him. And that's why when he vomited before, yeah. it was all black nastiness. <laughs> but the main thing on this scene that I want to mention is the, the sighting of Dragon Mount behind Tarvalin. And oh, well, and Tarvalin itself. Oh, yeah, Tarvalin too. itself looks great. And I want to talk about that. But what I want to talk about is Rand saying, oh, I think I've seen that before. <laughs> Because he sees Dragon Mount and he's like, hmm, what's this? Home? I think I was just here a few millennia ago. <laughs> I could have sworn I saw that as a bait. Oh. <laughs> yes. But uh, I thought that was a funny little scene, like just kind of planting some seeds and everything about like, what is Rand talking about? How could he have seen Dragon Mount before? Um, but talking about Tarvalin. So I have some interesting stuff about this, because when I watched this episode, I was like, you know, Tarvalin really reminds me of, like, a Middle Eastern city. Just the way it's portrayed with the bazaar that you see there when you first walk through the gates. Just the way the city is situated with the White Tower up high and, like, all this, like, housing slash shops down below it and everything. And then I find out that Tarvalin, what they did... What they based it on, actually, on for the show, is they based it on Marrakesh over there in the Middle East. Mm. So it makes perfect sense that it looks that way. Yeah, it so does. it had that vibe, and that came through without me even knowing that. So I was cool. I was happy about that part. Um, but like I said at the start of the show here, Blood and Ashes. We get our first book swear here from Rand. And I know a lot of the fandom has been waiting to hear that, waiting to hear that book language mm-hmm. come on screen here. So it was really cool to actually see it happen. And I'm sure we'll get plenty more <laughs> before we're done here. So while Matt and Rand are walking through the town there, we see them heading towards an inn that one of Tom's friends owns and that he had directed him to. So... I'm going to pass this over to you, Mike, and see what you have to say here. Okay, first and foremost, I, I want to take just a second to backtrack and just say Tarvalon walking in. I loved it. And I loved that at the beginning of this episode, we saw so many people. That was such a refreshing change from some of the other scenes we'd seen before, and we'll get into it later on. They do continue the uh, vibe, I, or not the vibe, the theme that there's nobody in this world sometimes. But... When they said, oh, it's a friend of Tom's, I was like, oh my gosh, they moved Basil Gill exactly. to Tarvalin. <laughs> not Tarvalon. Well, you did just Tar-Valin. say Tarvalon a little bit ago there, man, like 30 seconds I ago. Know. I've been hearing it. But no, I, I had that same thought. I was like, oh, Master Gill, they're going to they're going to the Queen's Blessing. Except it's not the Queen's Blessing that we know of at least because no. it's in Tarvalin. So it, maybe it's like the Omerlin's but blessing. It wouldn't surprise me if like, I think they're, do, you know, they're bringing that into, yes. you know, cater to the book readers. Yes. I don't know if you saw this Dylan. I pa- happened to, I had to rewind it and pause it, but right at nine minutes and 36 seconds, you see a face. You'll see him later on in the episode too, but you see a face you haven't seen since the first episode before some whistling. 
Interesting. I did not see did... Mr. Fane. Oh yeah, he it was he wasn't even on the because like when he paused on the screen to get the X-ray with yeah, the people. Yeah, you do get that on the TV too, but he wasn't even on that. But I saw him and I literally was just like to Alexis, "Oh my gosh, there he is!" is it nine thirty-six. Nine minutes and thirty-six seconds. Okay, I gotta go back and watch that now. Like I need to yeah. watch this with Amy still, <laughs> so I'm gonna be going in and keeping my eyes open this time. Mm-hmm. It's right before the like right before right as the whistling. Mm cool starts i like that a lot yeah so cool so once we get inside master gill's inn because i'm just assuming it's his inn <laughs> um, yeah i am too we're just gonna say it's basil gill's inn. yes uh we get matt and Rand talking and matt's like tell me again how it happened like referring to the murder of the family from the last episode and Rand's just straight up lying to him He's like, oh, Tom and I saw the Fade do it. It wasn't you. And we're hoping that it was the Fade, but we did not see the Fade but we don't know. kill him. We, it could have been Matt. And yeah. I really hope that it wasn't, but we that's going to be a question. We don't know. Um, but you just see Matt taking it hard, too, because it just reminded him of his sister again, you know, thinking back to what could have been happening towards her. You saying this, like them trying to talk him out of it, I'm wondering, and this I guess is just kind of a theory, just throwing it out there into the world. Like later on, like maybe when he does remember, or if he does remember, they might include that in this story. And that might be what kicks him out of the whole thieving trope that he has is that, oh my gosh, like when I, you know, when I took this thing, there was consequences Mm. and it led to this death. And like, so maybe that'll be kind of like, a part of the redemption or I'd like that. Just something cool. Think about, but yeah, like you clearly see that Matt has his doubts about the story that Rand's told him and that Matt is suffering internally and externally because he looks like a hot mess. Definitely paranoid. Oh, super paranoid. Yeah. Yeah. So you flash to the tower again with Moraine tucking Nynaeve away, hiding her in the warders quarters here. And you can just tell that, again, Nynaeve throughout this whole episode, she's not her usual confident self. She is flustered. Mm. She is not really thrilled to be in Tarvalon. And she (laughs) doesn't really feel like she's doing what she wants to do. She wants to be finding her friends. And Moraine does actually commit to, if she does find Rand and the rest of the her friends, or rather when she finds them, she will let Nynaeve know. And I thought that was a good step for Moraine to take, trying to build that trust with Nynaeve by saying it the way she said it so that there is no twisting of the words to get out of that. And also relating to her about the power. I thought that was such a great way to like show vulnerability, mm-hmm. even though Nynaeve is going to be like, I, you know, nothing was wrong with me. I'm fine. But in reality, Maureen knows because she's been there. This is a really scary experience, but it's amazing. Right. And so you need to accept it because it's a part of your life now. And like, you can just tell though that Maureen doesn't trust the other Aes Sedai because she's like, oh, stay here. You don't want a part of the tower politics. You don't want a part of these women. Every single other woman here has her own agenda. And I'm just like, do you even like your sisters? (laughs) Like, what's up with that? Um, but you see that Nynaeve is afraid and that she doesn't like it, that she's afraid. 
We then flash over to Perrin and Egwene, getting all excited because the journey with the Tuathawan is coming to an end. No more bean curry. And then... I think it was turnip curry. Turnip curry. Some kind of curry. <laughs> but yeah. then, the, before they get to Tarvalin, there's a little blast from the past with Aemon Valda coming in and being like, ah, 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 oh. ah, you're not going in there. <laughs> and just... Such a brutal scene. Oh, man. Just making the Tuathuan get up in front of him, be like... What are you going to do? You're not going to commit violence against us. They're like, no, but we can be meat shields and linking arms and standing there. I was like, oh, man, I feel sorry meat for shields. you. Yeah. <laughs> then it was uh, tough to watch. Isla getting smacked in the face and Rain just like catching her and being like, are you OK? And she's like, yes, I'm still standing here. You can smack me all you want. You can burn me. You can do whatever. I'll return to the earth and what will happen to you? A child's hand can cover the light. And I was like, that's her. That's about as aggressive as you can get with the way of the leaf talking smack like that. And uh, the white cloaks let her know what they thought about that. Violence just means hitting you. It doesn't mean I can't kill you with my words. Yes. Um, but Aram tries to sneak off Perrin and Egwene, and he gets run down. I don't think he's dead. At least I hope not. Oh, no. But he's definitely was hurt from that little horse mm-hmm. charge there. And Perrin and Egwene are then captured by the White Cloaks, by the Children of the Light. But I thought that this scene was very interesting because as nasty as the children of the light have been as well like you know like what that organization is supposed to stand for is you know the all that's good all that's right in the world but every time we see the children so far in this series nothing about them (laughs) looks right nothing about them looks good they all look like aram says like a bunch of bastards and I think that this scene just, like, hammers that home with their treatment of the Tuathawan. But Aram says they won't actually kill them, so hopefully Isla, Rain, and the rest of the gang are okay. I'm sure they're fine. So we then get to a part that Mike wants to talk about. Here. <laughs> oh, man, yes. So then we go into the library, and this scene made me very happy because it really did hold true to the library book scene in Basil Gills uh, and and you have this library it's not extensive by any means but it is pretty sizable there's definitely like you know several bookshelves and there's books all over the place and you have Rand looking through the books pulls out a book on Jane Farstrider no he does not and then Wait, oh, what? No, man. Oh, the Koreathon yeah, cycle. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. The Koreathon cycle, which is, you know, just slight foreshadowing. <clears throat> uh, for those who don't know, the Koreathon cycle in the books and in the show refers to uh, the prophecies of the dragon. So, but then we hear a voice, a beautiful, majestic voice. Sounds like a buzzing bumblebee. <laughs> You know, I know some people, I read some people online saying that it was too much. Like, it's all I could focus on. But so I was like really nervous when I was um, watching. I was like, oh, no, is it going to be too much? When it came on, I was like, 
This is exactly how it sounded in my head. Uh, me too. I think I was so happy. I think voice wise, they did a fantastic job with Loyal, yes. <laughs> and I was so happy to finally get him Son introduced here. I I will say, straight up, no lion. He looks god awful, but I you will. Think so? oh, I do. I think he does not look like an I'm okay gear. But so tell me this, like. When you see Loyal in the very first part of the books here, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not a Trolloc. How, why would you think I'm a Trolloc? Because Rand, when he sees Loyal in the book, he's like, Trolloc. And you could never yeah. confuse this Loyal with a Trolloc. So I don't know, like, why Rand pulled his sword on him. He just looked like a big man with a wide nose. Well, he looks different. And I, I could see, like, some slight Trollociness, but... I agree with you. It really isn't as pronounced as you would think. No, so what I'll say about this, though, is I think that Loyal doesn't look good at all. I think he looks terrible. I think he okay sounds great, but I will say this. We've only seen Loyal a little bit in this episode here, and mm-hmm. I did not get hung up on the look of him. I thought at first, I was like, this is not how I pictured Loyal. But I was able to move past that, and I was able to like start enjoying the scenes pretty quickly. And I was rather surprised, to be honest, because all those stills I saw of Loyal before oh, this episode, I was so scared. I was like, he's going to look hideous and so bad. And I still thought he looked bad, just not as terrible as I thought he could have looked. So I breathed yeah. a little mini sigh of relief that I was able to move past that unconsciously. And I was like, okay, good. I love Loyal. I want to still love Loyal. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy about that. The um, lines were so good. Oh, yes. I loved I loved his lines. I loved the way he spoke. I loved how he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I've been wanting to meet an Aielman. I've read about your kind a lot. And I was like, oh, you humans. <laughs> and, but... <laughs> Speaking of the Aielman, yes. though, Dylan, that is such a good point because did you notice how he said, you humans are so difficult to differentiate? Yes. I'm paraphrasing. Uh-huh. Except for you, Aielman. You're the only ones with a distinguishing feature. And I was like, right there, what they did is they explained the diversity in one really quick blurb. Like, everyone is all intermixed. And so people aren't going to like that, but... But, yeah, he did say, you know, oh, Aiel are the only people with your hair or with whatever, so I'm... So I think you're going to be okay with your, like, hope. Yeah, I'm, your... I'm hoping that the way that they portrayed the Aiel is this, like, nomadic, kind of, like, sheltered tribe away from the rest of the world. So, like, yeah. we've seen a lot of great diversity throughout this series, but I'm hoping that, like, just for consistency's sake, that the Aiel are less diverse than the rest of the nations we've seen so far because they should be. Sounds like it might And be. I feel like, yeah, from the way Loyal's been talking, that's the way that they're probably going to be portrayed as well, which I'm happy about. Um, So here's a scene I want to talk to you about with the parade of Loghain through the streets here. Hmm. Definitely. Again, they, they took all of the Camelin scenes in the book and they shoved merged them it. Shoved them into Tarvalin. Shoved them into Tarvalin, which... Again, I, thinking about the show, it makes sense because now you're cutting out one city, but then you're also explaining something that people are going to have to know about as they go through the rest of the series with the politics of Tarvalin and just all the intricacies that is Tarvalin. 
And see, I think that the reason that they chose to go to Tarvalin instead of Camelin is because of that. Is because they want this series to really highlight the Aes Sedai. And yeah. so what better way to highlight the Aes Sedai than have everything that happened in Camelin, except for certain pieces, which I'm sure we'll get next season, um, happen mm. in Tarvalin instead. Where you can also have all of that book stuff happening, like the parading of Loghain, like Matt and Rand staying in the inn there, meeting Loyal. But you can also have Moraine in the tower and get your first glimpse inside the White Tower. And I feel like that's why Tarvalin was chosen over Camelin for this season. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Did you notice in the front of the parade there was uh, some accepted? Yes, I did. Some novices and some accepted, I think. I couldn't quite, I couldn't tell the difference. I mean, so I knew they were one or the other because they had like the gray on top of the white, but I was like, I don't know. Which... I saw, so I saw lots of novices, I feel like, because they were in plain white dresses. But mm. I also saw like some white dresses that looked like they had, like gold on the collars and stuff like that. Yes. So I was like, "Oh, are those the the accepted or like is that like the banded thing that they're doing instead of having all colors of the ajas on there? They're going with gold instead." If so, that's fine. Like as long as there's a differentiation so you can tell them easily between accepted and novices, I'll be good. But what I want to mention to you is that scene with Matt and Rand up in the overlooking window there as they watch Loghain pass. What were your takeaways from that scene? Again, we got a lot of foreshadowing in this episode. I think this part in particular was Matt like imagining the laughing. Maybe he did turn his head up and laughed as well. You couldn't quite tell like if he did laugh a little bit and like Rand and Matt saw it and then there was just like more laughing and just like going mad, like looking at them. And I think it was showing because the next it led into the conversation Matt had with Rand where Matt was really worried about it. So I think it was a little bit like Matt envisioning his fears or them showing the fears that maybe the boys were having. That's kind of as far as I took it, um, as well as some foreshadowing of what will occur later on. Yeah, or so kind of a connection what I wanted to ask you about was if you thought the maniacal laughing of Loghain being a madman was all in Matt's head or if it was actually happening. Because I think that you're right. I think Loghain probably looked up at them, might have smiled or chuckled to himself a little bit. But I think the extent of the laughing, pressing his face to the bars and everything, I think all that was imagined because in, when in, you in see, yeah, yeah, when you see Loghain again, he's just like sitting back in there chilling like he always had been in the parade there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that that was all in Matt's head. Um, but Matt wanted a promise from Rand that he would take care of him. And I don't mean like nurse him back to health. If he started going mad, he meant kill him. And I think that is an interesting promise to make. Because of certain things that happen later on in the series, in the books, which I wonder if they'll happen in the show or not. I wonder too. And just uh, so the audience knows, again, we're not trying to have like a secret conversation reminder. We're trying to keep it as spoiler peas. Spoiler. Oh my gosh. I said spoiler. <laughs> spoiler peas. Mm, spoiler <laughs> peas as possible. Uh, <laughs> spoiler free as possible. Uh, while we're making connections to the book and inadvertently we are spoiling some things in the book 
that probably aren't happening going to happen in the show, or if they do happen in the show, they'll happen later on probably a different way. Yeah, so that's the part that I want to mention as well, is that we'll probably get some stuff right. We'll probably get some stuff wrong. But take what we have with a grain we've of salt, because, wrong. yeah, we've gotten a lot wrong so far, but we've also gotten some good stuff right. Um, so going back now to We're the... In, uh, the tower. Yeah, back in the tower. So we have Steppen... Cool yeah, I like the scene a lot. We have Steppen reminiscing about meeting Karini and how unworthy he was when he first met her. Yeah, and he still feels. He still feels unworthy, and I feel like he feels unworthy because he feels responsible that he let her die, and he did not protect her. Even though, like, he was doing his job when he did, when she did die, um, by fighting out in the, in the forest there with the army attacking, but... I just, I, you've got to feel for Steppen because, like, the way that he's sitting there holding the ring in front of the flame, just, like, crying and then finally melting it, really reminded me of Lord of the Rings in a way, just, like, the, the melting of the ring bit. Yeah. But it also really reminded me from the early, like, back in August images we got of here where we got this image, we got this still, and I think this was in a trailer as well. And we were like, oh, is that Louis Theron? I thought it was Louis Theron. Yeah. <laughs> and again, so see, we get a lot of stuff wrong. But <laughs> we also get some good stuff right occasionally. Um, but I still love the scene with Steppen. I thought that, again, the actor has done a phenomenal job with him. And it's a shame that we really won't be getting to see him anymore because of yeah. what happens at the end of this episode. And now some people might be wondering a little bit about the like comment land made to him about bonding to another Aes Sedai. And like, I know this from the books, but it was also a general little trivia bit in the, uh, <laughs> the x-ray. And it was that one way to save a warder is to immediately bond him to another Aes Sedai. Many believe this helps with that mitigating that those emotions because like Alana, so I'm going ahead, but like Alana said later on, is like they swallow that death, that grief. So, yeah, and I mean honestly, what it really makes me think of is it makes me think of the saying: the best way to get over somebody is to get under somebody else. Oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, oh my god! But no, <laughs> it made me think of that though. And I was like, okay, it's like a very water version of this, where like you know you're getting. Because you're getting that deep connection with somebody that you've that was taken away from you with that, and you're feeling all of that loss, all of that emptiness that used to be full, and then you're replacing that with that with somebody else. But I I really like that you know, like you were saying, the ring sing scene here where he you know kisses it and he's crying and it's just so emotional. And then when he puts it in, while I didn't think the effect was very great, like it melting back in, it looked very it looks fake, like, but it was. Yeah, um, but I like the idea that that is what the rings come from when they make their eyes and eye rings, and that's mm. where it goes back. And so it's this constant like it's that cycle of rebirth yeah. that is a theme within Wheel of Time. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Thank you for. <laughs> of course. Uh, so right after this scene, you see Lan go to Moraine, and mm. he doesn't say a word. She doesn't say a word either. But you get the sense that he's like, thank God I still have you. 
Like, yeah. thank God you're okay. And, like, he hasn't said a word he doesn't need to because all of that emotion was conveyed right there. And, I mean, that is something that's, that is something that's very different from the books is I feel like Lan is much more emotional in the show here. Has much more of, like, a, a vibrant personality. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. Yeah. So... The next, the next scene the is next the scene. Children of the Light. Yes, this Children was, of the Light. I'm going to tell you right now, my partner was super uncomfortable um, when they showed Egwene's clothing getting ripped. Yep. Not ripped, but taken off of her body, her head getting placed up, and she was like, what are they doing to her? And I was like, well, they're making her clean under the light. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I saw that scene, and I was like, okay, so they're... Uh, they're taking this a little literally <laughs> like they're going hard they're giving her like, cuticles like a little cleaning as well like cleaning her nails and like you said making her clean under the light and so i've been shouting out actors and actresses throughout this entire series so far and i want to give a shout out to abdul salas who is the guy that plays emin valda for just mm-hmm. being a great villain like he's he's a very good villain i'm liking he's him a lot it. so far Um, he's killing it yeah i know i was like thankfully he's not killing it in this episode (laughs) but (laughs) we get the white cloaks um stripping down Egwene, cleaning her and then strapping her to the chair with you see the blood stains on the rope that's being used Mm -hmm. there as well (laughs) And, and so like you can tell that valda has been interrogating other aes sedai with the same rope and you know that from his collection of rings as well um but he's brings up the point that we made in the last episode which is you know one of those witches told me they don't actually need to use their hands or words to channel it's a crutch and that you can actually channel without using the movements and without saying magic words or anything and i was like I'm really happy that they're mentioning that because yeah. it's a good way to do it to clarify what we were seeing with Loghain last episode and why he didn't need to do the hand movements. Again, it comes down to he was not trained to use the one power in coordination with those hand movements like they are in the White Tower. So I like that they called it a crutch, or he cr- called it a crutch. Yeah, so I thought that was a great way to talk about it. But I also thought this scene, like, I loved this scene, and I thought it was really good, but I also thought it was really weird, like, okay, how are you not dead yet? Because if you were with an Aes Sedai like this, like you yes. are in this scene... right? Uh, <laughs> He's like, well, I'm glad you didn't channel yet, otherwise I'd already have your hands. And I was like, so you wait for them to channel before you cut their hands off? If you were smart, and it's not an honorable tactic, but... If you were somehow able to knock out an Aes Sedai, you chop those hands off right away, and then you worry about it. But I thought a couple things about this scene were very interesting. Is when Egwene is trying to plead with Child Valda, because he does not like to be called Sir, apparently. Um, I thought it was interesting how she was like, please, you know, someone who follows the light would never do this. And he's like, what makes you think I'm a man who stays true to his oath? And I was like, that is, <clears throat> that's a great little comment there because 
that plants the seed of, oh, you know, like, why is Valda doing this? Is he doing this because he gets pleasure from it? Or is he doing it because he follows the light and this is his job? And you get the sense just from watching him and his collection of rings that he gets pleasure from doing this. So, yeah. But I loved Egwene's backbone in the face of everything with Valda threatening to kill her, basically, if she channels. Um, Mm -hmm. Or even if she doesn't channel, he'll kill Perrin. I thought that it it was an interesting choice for her to, like, really show that backbone that Nynaeve had been showing previously in the season. And again, just like emphasizing that two rivers blood, the blood of Minethrin going strong and in defiance. Yeah. But we also get parents starting to get tortured. You have Valda mm. rip open his shirt and start to flay him in the back. There. Brutal scene. Pretty brutal. Um, I will note, though, that we were spared the sight of the actual flaying. We just got to see yeah. the side view. And I think that was done on purpose, so that Marcus didn't have to get any uh, unnecessary new scars for, <laughs> his, for his method acting. <laughs> um, but Valda does give Egwene that ultimatum. Ultimatum. You channel, and I'll kill you and let the boy go. You don't channel, I'll kill the boy and let you go. So again, just showing he doesn't care if either one of them is guilty. He's going to kill kill somebody. Yeah. So again, what makes you think he follows his oath? What makes you think he's actually sworn under the light? What did you think of when Perrin was getting flayed and his eyes went golden? So I was going to mention that right next. So yeah, good call there, man. I was like, okay, so Perrin's getting tortured, and his eyes flash yellow, and you hear the wolves howling. And, like, I don't know if that's supposed to be outside the tent, in the distance, in Perrin's head, whatever you get. But, like, this is your first look at that, oh, that's something, yeah, that something might be changing about our, our, blacksmith, our murderous blacksmith. <laughs> but I thought it was okay. I... Mike and I have talked about this a little bit off off the podcast here, and we do both agree that the way that this was done in the books was better, and that mm-hmm. there is a certain character that they have omitted from the series that was used as a stepping stone to understand what's happening to Perrin that is not in the series here on TV, and that was Elias Machira. And... So without him being present, it's very confusing. Like if you and I did not know like what was going on with Perrin, I know I think I'd be confused. And I think that it's not really like it hasn't been stated properly enough. No. About like what's actually happening with him. I think we'll find out next episode a bit more. And I'm wondering now if we're going to find out from Loyal. We might, because Loyal has heard about this as well. And like so Loyal is gonna be a great source of knowledge, which Tom should have been as well, but <laughs> alas. Um so yeah, having what you want. I know. And apparently not even what you need in some points. <laughs> but uh but Loyal being an Ogier, Ogiers live very long lives. So getting him to like give some insight to everything that's been going on and everything that's happening to our characters here will be nice because 
he's a wealth of it. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is just back in the tower, Stepan comes knocking on Nynaeve's door. And we see mm. Nynaeve with her packs of herbs. And so that's really cool. I'm glad she we saw that. She seems uncomfortable in that scene. She's been uncomfortable this entire episode. And I think I know. it all does still circle back to that. Yeah, but I, I think it's also because of Stepan and what he's going through. And yeah, she doesn't... It, I felt like she was sympathetic towards him, but also didn't know quite how like how to help, even though yeah, she wanted to she's help. A, she's a wisdom, so she wants to be there and wants to be the one that does help, but she doesn't know how, like you said. And so Nynaeve gives Stepan some herbs to help him sleep, and we'll see those sleepy time herbs put to use later on. But Stepan won't I be the one was... taking them. Yeah, I thought it was cool that they they kind of showed us the water barracks. Yeah, because we never really got to see them in the books and even the warders' bedrooms. So it was kind of cool seeing like Steppens earlier on with all the gear in it and all the things adorning the walls. Especially um, compared to Moraine's barren room that we see yeah. later on in this episode. And then when Nynaeve finally does leave the apartments there. And walking in with the statues, that was really cool. Seeing the Gaidine decorate in like the statue form, decorating the sides. Right. And I have something really something interesting I want to share on this next uh, interaction we have. But after you share your thoughts, yeah. So we have Nynaeve leaving the apartments, and who should find Nynaeve but our favorite snake in the grass, Leandrin. So. Mike, you you want to share something? Obviously, the way you're looking, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> well, yeah, but I wanted you to share your thoughts on this scene first. So you All go right, first. So okay, so I like how I like how different Leandrin is in the in the series so far compared to how she was in the books, especially with Nynaeve. and like the way that Leandrin is acting, and I. I was confirmed on this later on in the episode when Leandrin was talking with Moraine. But I was like, you know, Leandrin's kind of like treating Nynaeve like she's some sort of prize. Like she's like some great like discovery. And it's because of how strong in the one power Nynaeve is. And what I found interesting is I wanted to point out, I was like, Leandrin tells Nynaeve, you know, women hold the one power, but men still control much of the world, and they don't like women who, you know, show them their place or something like that. And I thought it was very interesting how in this series, you know, especially because we have a world of powerful, badass women here, and nations ruled by queens and everything like that, how there is still oppression referenced, or at least in the view of a red eye Sedai sister. Um, but I thought it was really funny how to get on Nynaeve's good side, Leandrin tells Nynaeve where the garden is, because she knows she likes her herbs and everything. Okay, well, that, yes, I kind of thought that way too. And then I was thinking, what if that wasn't Nynaeve? Or not Nynaeve, sorry, uh, Leandrin. Oh, yeah, that's a possibility. (laughs) Because it's very, you know, there's a pretty big coincidence that all of a sudden, oh, the gardens are that way. And then you run into Loyal, and then you end up meeting your friends. It's almost like someone wanted you 
to do that. So you're and talking Howley, about a little uh, thing later on. And how okay. Lanfear acted, or oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, how Leandrin acted in that scene versus how she acted with Moraine was also very different. And when she was talking with Moraine, a lot of the way she was speaking as if she had never had seen or like you know talked with Nynaeve earlier. And I would think that she would almost bring some of that up as like a prize. Like that's I like that speculation because again, one thing we've been preaching on this podcast is to expect the unexpected, that people can that anybody can be a dark friend, and that things are not always as they appear, especially with people who have, can use the one power and use the the mask of mirrors ability which is basically they turn their face into someone else's face they can disguise who they are and it's something that we see happening in the books with different members of the forsaken we see it also happening with some of our eyes to die as well um but that is a very interesting theory i didn't even think about that but speaking of finding Nynaeve in the garden loyal does just that brings her to rand it's like did I do good? Did I do good? This is the girl you were talking about, right? The one that likes Jane Farstrider? And Rand never acknowledges it. He's just like, oh, Nynaeve, you're alive. So happy to see you. And I like you just... Loyal so much. Yeah, he's... Well, Loyal's cool. He's always one of my favorite characters. But you see just how bad Matt looks now. And when Nynaeve tries to put his her tongue in or put his tongue out to look at it that he's like don't touch me like acting all creepy and like snappy and again just acting like he's being corrupted yeah he definitely had that corruption vibe and the snappiness you're right i am almost surprised he didn't reach for his dagger there yeah right and then you have Nynaeve and rand out in the hallway and it sounds like they're, you know, sort of talk. The, it, the feeling I get is like, should we go to the Aes Sedai with this? Should we not? It kind of made me I, a little upset because I was just like, let's just get this going. Let's just get right, that let's done with. Speed it up, man. Speed it up. We know that it's coming. Know that it's coming. You got to just stop trying to do it all yourself, you two rivers, woolheads. Um, Woolheaded <laughs> sheep herders. Yes. But you see like how afraid... Rand is of Moraine gentling Matt or other Aes Sedai gentling Matt by hiding Matt away here and Nynaeve's right there with him she's like oh no we're we're not gonna take this to Moraine we're two rivers folk we can do this ourselves and I like the break bone fever story Nynaeve tells about Egwene and what I really like about that is Nynaeve tells this story trying to like reiterate to Rand how unshakable Egwene is. But in telling it, she doesn't even realize that she's telling the story of her first channeling because she hasn't realized at this point that she used to use the one power to, like, heal those that could not be healed because that's who Nynaeve is. Nynaeve is a healer. And I thought that this was a great story to tell to segue into the White Cloaks continuing to, you know, torture Perrin and Egwene. And I'm really happy that Perrin has finally told somebody 
the story about him killing his wife. Yeah, it was good that it finally came out, and I'm glad that he, you know, kind of strengthened that bond with Egwene by sharing that story. Yeah. And, like, she's accepting and, you know, ready to, you know, kind of help him with that, I think, as they move forward. And she definitely feels his emotion there, too. It's very... That scene is good. The rest of this scene is where both of us kind of had a bit of an issue with, and I'll let you take the reins on that one, because you felt some some type of way about it. Yeah, so before I tear this scene apart... I just want to say that I actually really like Egwene in this episode. I feel Mm -hmm. like this is my favorite episode for her. That she is portrayed the best in this episode out of the rest of the one that we've seen so far. And I would just want to add on to that, that just in general, like a lot of these characters who in the books I didn't like, Egwene was one of them really. Like she, I didn't really feel any kind of way towards her. Like I really like her in the show. Same with Matt really did not like him in the books have loved him in the show and rand as well has come across really you know as a very strong character nynaeve one i detested in the books at the beginning (laughs) um and i love 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 her character so well done and perrin too baron i really loved in the books well and that's that's the where the problem lies yeah but so (laughs) yes let's let's talk about this here so Perrin it was one of the better characters done earlier on in the book series. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like, and this all go, comes back full circle to... And I'd agree with this. The same old thing here, that killing his wife in episode one of the series has made Perrin a sullen shell of himself that, justifiably so, he should not be happy right now. Like, he killed his wife. He's traumatized. And it has made him an unbearable character so far. He has done nothing to really make you want to root for him other than just, like, feel bad about what he should be feeling bad about. But this has taken Perrin from a character that was very likable, that everyone has said, this is what a husband should be, to being, this is what you don't want to do as a man. Like, this is not what you want to be as a husband. You don't want to kill your wife. You don't want to be a sullen mess over yourself for the rest of your days about this. But this comes back to what I had mentioned about Elias not being here for that stepping stone to understand what's happening with Perrin. And... When Perrin goes feral, when he gets free from his bonds, when Egwene channels at Valda and then heats up his rope so he can snap out, he comes snarling at Valda and Valda's like, ah, what are you? And I just, I thought that scene was so cringeworthy because he's acting like a, like, Wolfman slash Frankenstein zombie hybrid. And acting like a fool <laughs> and i just did really did not like that scene at all um i also just felt like we hadn't really gotten any explanation about what he's going through and just the way they've done this man dirty is beyond what they did with abel coffin beyond what they did with matt and his gambling problem and addiction earlier on and his thieving they've taken a character that was so, so likable and turned him into the worst character on the show. 
by no means is this the fault of Marcus Rutherford. He has done a great job portraying what he's been given, but just the arc they have from Perrin so far is by far the worst in the series. And I hope we get some explanation as we go into the next episode and we start to see some more, like, some more of that relationship with the wolves. Which, I mean, I'm sure that's not really easy one budget-wise to kind of portray with actual wolves on set. And I do think that it was cool to show the wolves being so, I don't want to say powerful, but, like, powerful. Like, taking out all these white cloaks. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. But... Again, that that transformation scene, yeah, I was just like, whoa, why? Well, yeah, there was a lot that didn't make sense. One, Egwene also getting out of her ropes. I guess she heated him up. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't even know. I didn't even see her do anything to her own ropes. Next thing I know, she's stabbing Valda in the neck with this. But, like, in the books as well, there's a giant part of Perrin's storyline that has to do with him committing violence against White Cloaks. That goes over multiple, multiple books. In fact, probably about three quarters of the series where because of Perrin killing some white cloaks, this was his moment of violence in the books. He kills some white cloaks in response to a wolf being murdered in front of him. And it sets up a domino effect. Yeah, it's a huge domino effect on the series line where white cloaks and Perrin, they're like immortal enemies. And now you have this scene here where... Perrin does absolutely nothing to the White Cloaks other than stand up and act like a wolf Frankenstein zombie monster guy. And but this, he'll get blamed. Yeah, he's going to get blamed for it still because it's the White Cloaks and that's what they do. But it's still one of those things where it was just... If they did not make that original change with Perrin's moment of violence being against his wife and instead kept true to his moment of violence being against the White Cloaks, it would have been so much better because, it again, it does just set up all of this stuff that happens in the future. But I'm going to get off my pedestal here and get back <laughs> to talking about the show. So now we flip into Tarvalon at night. Tarvalon at night. Um, really beautiful little shot there of the city as we go in, and then we see Moraine walking, and who should join her but... Leandrin. That was my snake impression. (laughs) She does a little face stroke. Oh, I know. I thought that part was a little weird. But we see Leandrin, you know, talking with Moraine, like, and saying how Moraine's been out of the tower for two years. So, like, you know, like, roughly um, how long her and Lan have been gone because of that on their mission. Um, But you see... Leandrin calling Nynaeve a prize in this scene and like you can tell she wants Nynaeve for herself because she views her as such an asset because she is so strong in the one power and even thinks she can try to convince her to become a red sister which no way Nynaeve was ever becoming a red sister which Moraine says flat out to her she's like you think you can convince the wisdom of the two rivers to be a red Aja Aes Sedai (laughs) And Leandra's response is, well, she's fiery enough, which is very true. But the yellows, like they mentioned here, are going to be all over Nynaeve and wanting her, since the yellow Aja's primary purpose is to heal the injured, heal the sick. And that's really meshes with Nynaeve's purpose a lot as well. As you've, he- you've heard her state, she she is a healer. She wants to be a healer. 
But, again, this kind of comes back to what you were talking there, man, with uh, that other scene with Nynaeve and Leandrin. Like, maybe that wasn't Leandrin. I don't know. Like, they do seem very different. Because, yeah. it. I mean, unless Leandrin went back looking for Nynaeve again. Excuse me. Looking for Nynaeve again and was not able to find her because she was out in the inn. But, I don't know. It's a little interesting either. there. But yeah, then and I mean, see... it could also be the whole I said I way with words, too. But... Yeah. yeah, maybe she just didn't want to let Maureen know she had spoken with Nynaeve already. But I think we also get you know, this next part with Stepin where he's... Yes, I was going to bring this up. ...making a little sacrifice to ward off the Forsaken. I just think some they're making some connections that, uh, you know, just little nods, and I'm just thinking, hmm, maybe, maybe. Well, which... Which Forsaken are you trying to ward off? Oh, Ishamael, the Ishmael. father of lies. The father of lies. So, yeah, right? <laughs> I just think that this was an interesting scene because of the carvings themselves. Like, looking at the portrayals of the Forsaken. Like, yeah. you look, you see one is really short. I think that's supposed to be Demondred. Um the other ones, you know, you just see, like, are all very human-esque, but, like, in a very weird, twisted way that would kind of gel with them being dark and evil people. Yeah. But then we see Moraine and Alana talking um, in what I'm assuming is Moraine's bed. And we hear a scene, like, where they're talking about the water's bond, how... When an Aes Sedai dies, the water has to, like, swallow that death. And then Alana's like says to Moraine, But Lan doesn't have anything to worry about. You're going to be around for a long time still. And Moraine just gives her a look that says, Girl, you sure? <laughs> because she's, like, not revealing any of her plans. And because she's silent, Alana's like, What have you been up to? Yeah. So... It really makes me wonder if they're going to say that Moraine has already been through a certain red frame door. I wonder. I wonder, too. I do like that they talk quite a bit in this scene about the politics and, you know, how I didn't. Well, I didn't like the part where they said that basically Moraine could contest for the Amarillan seat. Yeah, I didn't like and that part that, either. And it's based off kind of based off power it made me think like wait so they just fight to decide who gets it like it's kind of weird but at the same time it kind of fits with some events that happen later in the books and they'll definitely do in the show i'm assuming as well yeah but But, this scene here i want to hear your thoughts on this Mm -hmm. um this scene here really got me thinking that they maybe they might be blending Leandrin with another character from the books and the character of Elida. And I don't know if Elida's too important to have it be not be blended, but I think because they have such different directions later on. Um you know, See, Leandrin, I thought of that as well, yes. And I think I think not. I think we will get introduced to elida probably next season 
um, and or maybe even this maybe it'll be a surprise and like when the Amarlin comes back from Camelin she comes with maybe yeah maybe she'll have a lie to then I don't know we'll see but or maybe she'll get mentioned if she doesn't get mentioned by the end of the season honestly it is kind of weird that she hasn't already been mentioned so maybe you're right maybe they are kind of meshing the two together that would be kind of weird though but uh, maybe it'll be so good. I want to jump back in time really quick here Okay. Back to that conversation of Leandrin and Moraine here. Mm-hmm. Because something that Leandrin says to Moraine, when Nynaeve becomes a novice, you won't be here to guide her. Basically saying, you know, Moraine, you're off gallivanting everywhere. I'm going to teach her to hate men. I'm going to teach her to be the Aes Sedai I want her to be. You know, like basically saying, again, there's this prize, you bring it in, but then you just, before you like lock it up in a safe, you're going to just let someone else take it from you. And it just, again, emphasizes to me like that tower politicking taking place there. Which they're they're doing a really good job. Yeah. Emphasizing that. I do want to bring up this up now as well, because Mike and I, again, were talking before we record, like we always do. And um, he brought up how the tower feels very empty. And I can't agree more. Like, we have seen maybe eight Aes Sedai this entire series so far. Maybe nine if you count the yellow that was being burned alive by Valda. And it just seems to me like with all the extras they must have had for the bizarre scene in Tarvalon when Matt and Rand come through the gates there couldn't they get a couple extras to throw on some Aes Sedai robes and walk around the tower hallways while Nynaeve is there while Leandrin and Moraine are talking it just even the warder even the warder funeral later on like I mean they packed that room but like I was like there's not that many two Aes Sedai there but yeah outside of Moraine yeah well there's Alana there then you also see Nynaeve, and then you see Moraine, of course, green. but yeah, a random green that we probably saw from the Aes Sedai camp. It just seems so, so empty. Yeah, um, and if I could bring us, if you're good. Yep. Okay, I'm going to bring us forward back into Moraine's room where she goes up to that gold plated yeah. thing. She yes. opens it up. I couldn't quite tell what it was, and so I didn't know if you had any information on that. So I pressed pause and I went forward in slow motion there because I really wanted to see what this was because I feel like it's important. And I can't make heads or tails of it, to be honest. Like, it looks to me like it's like this painting of this woman just like staring off a balcony, like maybe with some flowers and stuff. Like, it doesn't really look like anything that stands out to me. Yeah, I, I got it up here and I'm looking at it as well. And it it's definitely a woman looking through a balcony or a window and it looks like she's looking into another window and i can't see what's beyond that but it i feel like it might be almost like somebody trapped and looking at somebody else so maybe it's just kind of i'm not sure quite sure i'd be interested to hear some theories on that yeah so i had written down in here i'm sure it is as well i have written down here i'm like what is in the gold cabinet in moraine's room because, again, I have no idea what that's supposed to be. But I was thinking originally, is it some kind of Tarangrial? Is it some kind of Angrial? 
is it like Moraine's secret hiding place for her information? But I don't know. Um, but then we get Lan and Steppen up in Steppen's room there. And we see Steppen drinking tea with Lan, joking about sleeping with Alana and his, her two warders and how he's never been with a man, let alone two. <laughs> so I liked how nonchalant it was. Like, not a big deal. Yeah, I know. I thought that was a, a little bit of a funny scene and how Lan's like, what makes you think they'd even want to be with you? He's like, come on, look at <laughs> what this. What don't I have to offer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was really um, good. But... I think it's really fun. It's a really cool quote again. And I just really love how every episode so far has really had a couple quotable moments. And this one here I really liked. Steppen says, Love's usually a bad idea. Still, we allow it to happen, or this life would be intolerable. Just like talking about how, like for him, you know, love is fleeting. How, like again, he's still mourning Karini, but his life was intolerable until he met Karini, until he had that bond with her and the love he shared with her. So I just thought it was a good scene again there, a nice little quote there. Um, but then we see that Stepan did in- indeed drug Lan, and I I had a feeling, I was like, okay, wait, when you're grabbing these this stuff from Nynaeve, you're telling her that you don't like not feeling pain. You don't like sleeping because sleeping means you don't feel pain, but you want this sleeping tea. Who are you going to be using this for? And I, I had a suspicion it was going to be for Lan, and sure enough, it was. And Stepan runs off, and he ends up killing himself. Now, one thing I thought that was interesting was it seems almost like he did some seppuku, which is a you know a style almost like samurais used when they were like dishonored and they wanted to kill themselves and die an honorable death instead of go on living. So in this case, you know, Stepin failed by not protecting Karini and outliving her and <clears throat> and by him killing himself this way, it was a way to almost like restore his honor um before he died. Do you have any thoughts on this scene? No, um not too many from what you had said there. I thought it was Interesting where they put his, uh, where he decided to go and kind of kill himself. It was in front of the statues of the Gaideen. I would have almost wished that he had left a note or something too that may have been, that could have been almost like read aloud or something. Yeah. I do, you did bring up a good point with the quote there. I just almost would have thought like he would have, like if there had been like an Aes Sedai almost like burial ground or like a marble slab where they etched the names in the one power and he like had killed himself in front of that like where that it was nice yeah connection between him and um karini Krilly. um but instead we get him hunched over with you know the knife in him and it's kind of sad but the next scene was much better i felt like, yeah it was sad but not unexpected unfortunately yeah. Like this whole episode has been leading up to that, and then I mean, I we think get it's, yeah. it's really trying to build that like the severity of the water bond, how helpful it can be, but also like how devastating it is. Yes. So then we get the next scene, which is the ritualistic water funeral, where there's like that derg like chanting, and everyone starts pounding their chest, and the head warder, who he's labeled as as X-ray, that's his name, lead warder. 
says, relieve us of our grief. And it's basically the next part is Lan, who is someone who really does not show emotion, representing the emotion of everyone else there all in one source. So, like, because because he is, or because he's a warder, and the rest of the people there are warders and Aes Sedai, or friends of warders and Aes Sedai with Nynaeve, you know, they're all keeping themselves stoic. They're all trying to stay as you know, like, stone-faced as possible. Meanwhile, Lan is there, beating his chest, screaming his heart out, crying and weeping openly, representing all of the emotion of everyone in the room there. And I thought that was a really cool scene because, like, you start seeing Moraine crying as well. And it's just her feeling the emotions that Lan is allowing himself to feel as well. And some people I've seen have not liked this scene, and I don't care if this scene's not from the books. This scene's a cool scene. <laughs> and it was very interesting, again, just to get that inside look at what goes on with the water funerals and just to see them display that emotion, which they typically do not do. Yeah, to just ex- just to explore and learn more about the warders and the Aes Sedai in these different ways in this episode was really neat. And I know uh, we talked before the show about how some of the complaints are that you could have used this time to do book scenes. And yes, I agree you could. But again, remember, they're trying to build an audience who may not know anything about Aes Sedai or warders and trying to get them to care about these people and these characters making them realize that they're not just these superhuman mages that can just do all these things. That's the point of having the white cloaks there. And that's the point of having these funerals and having these warders have these funerals is that they're human and these bonds have, you know, their deaths have consequences and to humanize them really. And I think they did a really nice job of that. Um, They, you know, they set them up in the earlier episodes, making them seem all powerful and then, well, actually, they're really powerful, but at the same time, they can get killed pretty easily, they're still too. still human. Yeah. So trying to balance that out as they move forward. Uh, so I understand, and I agree with that direction. Do I wish they would, like you had said, Dylan, earlier, uh, before the episode, <laughs> taking the five minutes of screen time to introduce Elias and kind of kick Perrin's progression that way? Yes, absolutely. But... It is so cool that we got to see these kinds of scenes. And I really do hope we also, we get more of these, not as long, like episode long kind of arcs, but in short bits and snippets that help us to attach ourselves and to learn more about things that we kind of miss in the books as we're following just single or these three different characters. All right, so that actually concludes our breakdown of episode five, Blood Calls Blood. Now, here's what I have to say before we get into our predictions for episode six here. So, I have heard that episode six is supposed to be the best episode of the season. And that has me very excited. It also has me a little nervous because... I I don't want to set expectations too high, but Hmm. episode six, what is that one called, Mike? The Flame of Tarvalin. All right. So knowing that, 
what are we expecting to see in episode six, The Flame of Tarvalin, based on what we've seen so far and where we think this might be heading a little bit? Okay, Perrin and Egwene stumbling into the city. I think Moraine's eyes and ears will find these these two, actually. I think eventually in this ep- upcoming episode, Egwene is going to come clean and like Matt and Rand are going to come to the tower as well. Or Maureen's going to go and heal Matt. Or something's going to happen. Basically, Matt's whole dirty secret... <laughs> it's going to get exposed. It's going to get exposed. Yeah. And I think it's going to be kind of a cool exposure. Like, we're going to see, like, almost like an outpouring of evil. Like, maybe it's, like, him, like, getting fully possessed and trying to come at him. And they have to use the power to subdue him and then heal him. I think we'll have Loyal explain a little bit of what happened with Perrin. Since he does need a guide, kind of, for this and someone to explain to the audience what's happening as well so we'll get that um we'll meet the Amarillan seat we'll get some more politicking and i'm gonna be interested to see if we do happen to see um landrin show up she probably will and she makes a comment to Nynaeve or Nynaeve makes a comment to her like hey thank you for recommending the gardens and she's like i didn't recommend the gardens or something along that way and it's going to be like oh wait just to start to grow a seed if that theory happens to be true <laughs> just a theory so what do you think though dylan so i think you're right on the money there i think that what's going to happen in this next episode is we will see all of the emmons fielders come together again i think that moraine will find all of them and retrieve them all i think that we will see the Amerlin, moraine and other I said I heal Matt's wound for good or heal Matt's corruption for good, which just actually takes a while. This takes until book three in the series here. But I won't be mad if it's gone though. No, Matt becomes so much more likable after this is gone. So I'm excited about that. And again, whole new actor, whole new everything. So why not start with no corruption? I know this might be sad, but or might be a silly thing to say, and I'm going to hate myself if it's true. What if they they find out about Matt's dagger, and they're like, well, we can't heal it without this legendary item, the Eye of the World. You don't think they'd do that, right? I don't, no. Okay. I don't. Okay. I just had I'm... that thought, and I was just like, oh, no, please. Just... But what I'm going to be very interested to see is now that they're all in Tarvalin, and I th- if Matt's healed, like I think he's going to be, and like you think he's going to be, what's going to be their impetus for leaving again? How are they going to be allowed to leave again? Because there's no way that Moraine's going to be like, oh, I'm taking these two novices, Egwene and Nynaeve, with me outside of the tower right off the bat. No I said I training, nothing. No, I don't see that happening. Correct. But, so that's why I kind of was like... yeah. I don't know if they're going to, like, sneak off in the night and maybe we see some... Because we're going to see some politicking for sure. Because we're in Tarvalin. But I don't know, like... We're getting the Omerlin seat, so... We are. We're getting the Omerlin seat. I think this is where we're going to be seeing Moraine in her younger form as well. Yeah. Um, Maybe some flashbacks. Yeah. Going back and seeing her when she was younger and talking with the Omerlin. Maybe while she's not Omerlin. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, But... I think that they're going to sneak away and that loyal is going to come with them and that they will start their journey like towards the ways, but won't go into the ways until 
next yeah, episode. Kind of end up in front of the waves. Yeah. Uh, I dig it. I am interested to see this next one so much. I mean, like, again, I just want to see the next, I want to see the rest of the series. So I know. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> All right, well, that's all we got for you. This is by no means a short episode either, and we we just hope you guys are enjoying the longer format, the thorough breakdowns, and again, really looking forward to hearing any feedback, any questions, anything like that. Uh, yeah. You can get at us at WOT Rewind on Instagram and Twitter, and until the next time, we'll see you at the next turning of the wheel. Goodbye. Blood and blood, blood, bloody ashes. Mother's milk in a cup. Bye.